chapter 45. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah 45, 1 through 5. Amen. God's good and the devil's a liar. Amen. I like reminding the devil he's a liar. I was telling somebody this morning, I don't even put a capital S on his name because that's my way of protesting. He don't deserve a capital S. You know, he's supposed to capitalize people's name, right? He don't. When I type stuff up in my notes and stuff, I don't put a capital S on there. And the, and the computer tries to make me do it. And I make it change. Because the devil don't deserve a capital S. Right? He doesn't. He's a liar. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 45, verse 1 through 5. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke unto Baruch. Everybody say Baruch. The son of Neriah. When he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, Baruch. So he was speaking to the guy that was writing down everything Jeremiah was saying. So God will speak to anybody. He won't just pick certain people and speak to them. He'll speak to anybody. If he's using you, if he wants to use you, he'll come talk to you if you're listening. All right? Thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted. In my sighing, and I found no rest. Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down. And that which I have planted, I will pluck up. Even this whole land. God's, he's got everything. It's all his. He can do whatever he wants to with it, right? And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee, talking to Baruch, for a prey in all the places whither thou goest. Father, we love you today. We thank you today for this opportunity to be in your house, to hear your word, Lord, to hear a word from you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak will be your words, Lord, that you would use me mightily to minister to this people today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this guy, Baruch, little, anybody ever heard of this guy? Just today? Right? Baruch plays a role familiar in normal human life today. Because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Just different time, but the same stuff. That of having to take second place. Anybody ever played second base, second place, been second fiddle, right? And so he was of a high birth. His grandfather, Maasiah, was governor of Jerusalem in the days of King Josiah in Second Chronicles 34 and 8. And considering all that Baruch was doing to make Jeremiah's prophecies permanent by recording them, for posterity, it's not surprising that he seems to have expected to share in the prophet's rewards. Now, wouldn't you, if you were that guy, if you were the guy following Jeremiah the prophet around, recording everything that he said, you would kind of start thinking, you know, I'm Jeremiah's right-hand man. I, I probably deserve everything that 
all the blessings that Jeremiah is going to get. And you might start thinking that, that you deserve some stuff. But God was telling him something different. To play a prominent role, prominent part in the impending crisis, to be a hero of a national revival, to gain the favor of the conqueror he announced, seems to have been the high ideal in his glorious dream. Anybody, anybody ever had any dreams in here of, of, of seeing yourself elevated and, and being somebody important and being lifted up and, any, anybody in here ever felt that way? And man, I can't wait till I get promoted. I can't wait till I'm in charge. I can't wait till I'm somebody. And that's how Baruch felt. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and in his mercy and grace, he's, he kind of brought him down to the ground with this little verbiage that he gave him in, in the book of Jeremiah chapter 45. And, and so when he realized that that his dreams were going to be denied, he sank in despair in, in the seeming fruitfulness of his efforts. That according to Sir William Smith in the Dictionary of the Bible. So all of a sudden, God just kind of came along and popped his bubble and said, no, Baruch, you're just a servant. You're just a vessel being used, just like Jeremiah was a vessel being used. He just minding his own business one day, Jeremiah was, and God came along and started talking to him and said, you're going to say this and this and this and this to the people of Israel. And then he gave him a guy to follow around and write this stuff down so we would have it today. Right? And so we can, we can tend to become a little self-important to ourselves, thinking we're something when we're not. And that's what Baruch was doing. And so God has a way of humbling us. And sometimes he just comes right out and says it. You're, you're not all that in a bag of chips. You're just, you're just a vessel. You're just, I'm just using you right now. Right? So it goes on here. Yet Baruch is an excellent illustration of how little the gift of prophecy depended on men and how completely it remained for God to grant or deny prominence and recognition to his, to his perhaps equally deserving servants. Well, what does all that mean? Well, what that means is, is that God is the ultimate decision maker. Really, if you think about it, he is the ultimate decision maker. And that's what God is trying to get across. Uh, when, when, when God showed me this and spoke this to me, it was like, it was like a, a a revelation moment for me. It was like, wait a minute. God's in charge. God raises one man up and sets another man down. I didn't, I, I don't, if I try to get out there and, and get myself and, and start moving stuff in directions and, and the way I want to see it done, God's just going to step back and say, all right, go right ahead. You want to do it your way? Go ahead and do it your way. That's not my decision. That's your decision. Each man's eternal rewards are proportioned according to his faithfulness and not according to his earthly recognition or lack of it. Each man's eternal rewards are proportioned according to his faithfulness. God just wants us to be faithful. 
There's been times I've asked God over and over, what what am I doing here? And that's not just here. I've been in other places. Why am I here? And anybody ever done that besides me? Why am I in this place? Not this place, but why am I in this, this predicament in my life? Why am I going through this thing? And And God just says, just be faithful. That's the only word I got. Just be faithful. No explanation. No, no, no great long diatribe on how to be faithful. He just said, be faithful. (laughs) You know, you're like, that's it. That's all I get. Be faithful. He's, what is he saying? I got this. I'm in charge. You know, there's never been a time that God said, wow, man, I didn't see that coming. He did, there's never been a time that God has ever said that. Or that he has said, wow, I didn't think of that. Thanks, thanks, Rufus, for telling me that. I didn't think. Man, I'm glad you're here. God's not like that. Now, there has been times when men of God have changed the mind of God. When God was about to to kill everybody off, there was one man that said, Hey, God, if you do that, they're all going to talk about you. And God said, "Mm, Okay, that's good. Where did that come from? That that man was a servant of God. He was just thinking like God thinks, right? So God is our ultimate decision maker, isn't he? You mean every decision? Yes, I do. I mean, every decision. You mean when I made the decision to come to the altar and repent, that was God's decision and not mine? Yep. Because what's the Bible say? That no man comes unto the Father except what? Except what? What? So, and repentance is a gift. Right? It's a gift. You just don't decide to repent just out of your own volition, out of your own mind. God's been drawing you. He's been working on you. It was God's decision to, to cause Paul to go through that circumstance and situation on that road, right? And the people of God were praying fire to come down on him. We are, they wanted to just get rid of him, God. He's persecuting us. This was a brand new church. And they wanted their, they wanted God to honor their decision. Get rid of this guy. And God said, now I got a better plan. (laughs) I'm going to make him one of you. No way. I mean, Ananias was looking, looking around like, could you send somebody else? Remember God? He's killing us. Like God didn't know, right? Nothing catches God off guard because he's in charge. He's the ultimate decision maker. It's his plan. Amen? I just feel like I'm just beating a dead horse here, but Galatians 1 and 10 says, For do I now persuade men, it's Paul talking, or God? Or do I seek men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. So what is it all about? Pleasing man or pleasing God is what Paul's saying. What is it? It's all about pleasing God. Why? 
Because he's the one making the decisions. If he decided to save Paul, he had a reason. He had a really good reason. Thank God he did. Because some of us are here because of the reason he saved Paul. Paul was to be the one that was going to go preach to the Gentiles, that was going to go through all this stuff so he could write all these letters so that some of us could be sitting here today. Thank God he made that decision, and he didn't honor the decision of Ananias and all those other people. Good church people that meant well, they just didn't understand the will and the plan and the purpose of God. It was God's decision. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you are bought for the price. Be ye not servants of men. We're bought with a price. So that means what? We're slaves. Does, does a slave tell his master what to do? Right? Do they? Do you go into work and say, yo, boss, what this I want you to do today? I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and, and I'll be in my office if you need me. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen, right? Does it? Because we know why. The boss is in charge. That's why he's the boss. That's why he's the man that, that's in that position. And, and we're there to do whatever he wants us to do. And that's how we need to approach God. What is it you want me to do today? 1 Corinthians uh, 7.23 in the Amplified says, You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and paid for by Christ. Then do ye yield yourselves up to become, in your own estimation, slaves to men? But consider yourselves slaves to Christ. Right? We have to submit. What does the Bible say? Submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and you'll flee from you. Well, the first part of that is submit yourself therefore to God. Submit yourself to his authority in your life. Let him make all the decisions. Genesis 12 uh, 1 through 5, and, and we're not going to go there and read it. And Genesis 3 and uh, 13, 7 through 10 talks about Abraham and Lot. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we are going to go there. Genesis 12, 1 through 5. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make thee of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. God's in charge in that situation. Doesn't sound like anyway, right? And I will bless them that bless thee, and I and them that curse, and I will curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Everybody say that's me. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Right? And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran, and Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and here's where he got in trouble. And Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had had gotten in Haran, and went forth to go into the land of Canaan. Under the land of Canaan, they came. Didn't didn't God just tell him, Abraham, you're going to go, you're going to leave your family, your kindred, and you're going to go. So 
wasn't Lot his kindred? So why is Lot going? So, so who's, it doesn't say there whose idea it was to let Lot go. But Abraham was 75 years old and Lot was probably younger. And I'm just going to say that Abraham made the decision. Oh, yeah, I know you said leave my kindred, but I'm going to take Lot with me, okay? And so he did. 13, verse 7. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwell them in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there not be strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we have brethren, for we, for we be brethren. So why was there strife? It was God's decision to call Abraham away from his family and home to fulfill the great purpose that he, him, that he had just called him to. He was given a specific instruction. If we don't follow the specific instructions that we're given, what happens? We get reprimanded. If we, we stray from the instructions we were given, something's going to break. The washing machine's going to break down if you don't do all the steps in the manual. It appears, either way, it appears that Abraham decided that it was okay for Lot to go, and so there was strife. And that word strife there is talking about contention, and, and there was, and so as I was looking at this, I'm going, man, he let Lot go, and what did Lot end up becoming but a distraction from the perfect plan and will of God? He, he basically usurped God's decision. And if you if you just read on on your own time, you you'll find that Lot just kept popping back up. You know, he, he went Lot went his own way, and then he all of him and all of his servants got kidnapped, and so Abraham had to take all the army, the, the ones he raised up in his family, three hundred or so, and and go deliver him and save him and 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 recover all his stuff, and then and then Lot goes and and lives in Sodom. And I, this is just me, but I just think that that this this whole thing of usurping God's decision was a distraction. And we can do that in our own walk. We can start making our own decisions and thinking this is a good decision because it's it's kind of in line with what God said, right? And then we start having all kinds of problems, and we're starting to wonder. God, I thought you said to do this. But we're forgetting that we sort of added a few little caveats along the way. So God is the ultimate decision maker. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He's the decision maker, right? And he putteth down one and setteth up Another. So don't go out looking for promotion if God hasn't brought it to your life. Just what did Jesus say to that centurion about his pay? Just be satisfied with with your pay, your wages, and and God will promote you. 
when you least expect it. We got this guy who's a goodwill ambassador at the UN. He's official card-carrying member of the UN. He has an official position as the goodwill ambassador, otherwise known as the pastor of the UPCI church at the UN. Did he elevate himself there? <laughs> no. Matter of fact, he was just, God just called this man, saved him and his wife as teenagers, and, and just God just told him one day, I want you to go start a church in Flint, Michigan. And if I remember his testimony right, he went, where? <laughs> I don't want to go to Flint, Michigan. God said, oh, yeah, you do. Go. So he went. He went. And one thing led to another, and, you know, this lady just got saved in this church, and then it just kind of bloomed and blossomed from there. Did he did he volunteer for that? Was he expecting that? If you'd asked him six, six months before that happened, would he have said, oh, yeah? No, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have just kind of laughed it off and said, <laughs> not me, somebody else. But God had other plans. So in the middle of what we're doing, just being faithful, just wondering why, you know, why, why am I here, God? God has plans for us. And he's just waiting for us to just be faithful. And when it's his time and his plan, you know, my first pastor said this to me one time. He said, God's man in God's place at God's time. I've never forgot that since 1989. He said that to me one day, and it was just like revelation. It was like, wow. Because I was, you know, trying to position myself. And he just kind of brought me down and said, don't worry about it. God's man in God's place. You'll be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, when God's ready for you to be there. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, uh, one Chapter 1, uh, excuse me, 29 verse 1 says, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts, the purposes, the plans, the intentions that I think toward you. Who's he talking to? The people of Israel. Who's he really talking to? Us. Right? Saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Not an unexpected end. Nothing, nothing surprises God. God doesn't say, I didn't see that coming. He has a plan. He has an expected end for us. Then shall ye call upon me and Ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. So if we go and pray to God and hearken unto him, he'll hear us and answer us? Is that what that says? And ye shall seek me and find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you. Let me go back and read that again. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places, whether 
I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again unto the places when, whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You mean God made them to be carried away captive? He decided that it was time for them to be carried away captive. He sure did. He didn't ask them if it was okay or what they thought. He didn't go down there and do a, a poll to see what they thought. He just did it. He doesn't need their approval. Does God need our approval for anything? You know, I this is me. Sometimes I think up stuff. Right? Because we're human. God made us, gave us a mind to an analytical mind and you know and and I like fixing stuff. So I'm always thinking and always, you know, thinking about how can I do this better and make this, put a shortcut in here so I don't have to take so long to do this or whatever. And sometimes we take our decisions to God without asking him first. And we say, here's my decision. Would you bless this, please? <laughs> Is that what we're supposed to do? Would we? Should we be surprised if he just, either doesn't say anything or says no. Right. Why? Because God is in control. He's in control. Psalms 128, verse 1 through 6 says, let's go there. Psalms 128, verse 1 through 6 says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as fruitful vine by the sides of the, thine house, and the children, thy children like olive plants, round about that, thy table. Behold, that thus say, thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem in all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. God's in charge. The stipulation in that scripture is that we are to follow his ways. And it implies what? Not our ways. It's your ways, God, not my way. We think that we have, you know, some great idea that we need to bring it to God and See if he'll bless it, like I said, and instead of just saying, God, what would you have me to do? Lead me, guide me, direct me, order my steps. In me, in you, I live and move and have my being. Every breath I breathe is because you let me breathe today. I am your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. That it's foreordained that I should walk in them. Your, your precepts, your principles, your plan, your will, not my will. Is there anything wrong with us having plans? No, not at all. There's nothing wrong with us having plans. We just need to make sure that we understand that although our plans might sound great, when we're, when we belong to God, we have to usurp our own plans sometimes 
and say, not my will, not my will. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who of us can know our own heart? The answer is none. The Lord searcheth the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So it's all about... What, what can I do for you, God? What can I do for you, boss? What can I do for you, pastor? What can I do for you, sister, brother? What can I do for you, not what can you do for me? What did John F. Kennedy say in that speech? Somebody tell me what he said. That's right. Ask not what my country can do for me, but ask what I can do for my country. That applies right here and right now. It's not about God is not Santa Claus. Okay? I, we're servants. We're slaves. We just read that. We are bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, quoting from Isaiah, says, But I has not seen, as it is written, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither had it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. You're not going to figure God out. He's the decision maker. You're just supposed to be faithful, bloom where you're planted, and let God decide when to elevate you, when to use you, when to speak to you. And when it, when that happens, when you follow God's plan, I promise you it'll work. And this man already brought it up. You're gonna, it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna, you're gonna come up against some stuff. Cause the devil doesn't want God to succeed nor you. But that, you don't, you, once you realize who you are and whose you are and who he is, you don't worry about it. You just say, even Jesus told one of his own disciples, get thee behind me, Satan, Peter. Your ideas are good, but you're not listening. You're not in, you're not in tune with what's going on here. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His decisions, and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, and who hath been His counselor? Any volunteers? You want me to go to the book of Job and, and read you about Job? You know that God asked Job 74 questions, and they weren't, none of those questions were God waiting for an answer. He's like, just sit there, Job. I'm going to ask you a few things, and your silence is speaking so loud I can't hear a word you're saying because Job had no answer. Except at the end, he said, <laughs> I spoke out of turn really bad. That's me kind of summarizing what he said. But that's what he said. Okay, God, point taken. And we can learn from Job. Stop trying to tell God what you think he should do. Ask him what he, he thinks you should do. Proverbs 5.21 says, For there 
ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth, he watches and carefully observes all of his goings. We don't really know what we're capable of in God. That man at, at the UN, he had no idea what he was capable of. He had no idea what was coming. Paul had no idea what was coming in his life. He had no idea. And Ananias said, I'm, I'm supposed to tell you, I'm supposed to come and, and baptize you and all this, but I'm supposed to come and tell you the things you must suffer for his namesake. <laughs> and Paul heard all that. doesn't say what he told him. And yet he still, he did it. If, what if the Lord came to you and said, this is what I want you to do, and this is what you're going to suffer while you're doing it? Would you still do it if it was the Lord telling you? Knowing you're going to suffer something physically, would you still do it? That's not a question for you to answer right now. Something to think about. Something for me to think about. You know, we, we want God to give us all these comfortable jobs and all these, these nice comfy things to do, but what if God calls us to be a Paul and to suffer all these physical things for his namesake? Would we be willing to do that? Amen? Isaiah 55 and 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is truly the great decision maker. He's the ultimate decision maker. Acts 20, verse 22 says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. God's sending me to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I'm going to go through some bonds and afflictions, but I'm going anyway. But none of these things move me. And this, I like this part right here. This is a tough, this is one of what I would call one of the hard sayings in the Bible. Something really hard for us to say. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. When we get to that place where we just say, God, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I don't care. When it doesn't matter, when you really cast all your care upon him to the point where you don't even care what happens to you, if you lose everything, if it's for the cause of Christ, it really doesn't matter. And that's what Paul was saying here. God, you're in charge. You call me so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not my ministry, Paul said. I received it of the Lord. If he wants to give it to me, he can give it to me. He wants to take it away from me. He can take it away from me. It's not my decision. It's his decision. Matthew 10.37 says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not, what does that say? His cross. Matthew 10.37, 38. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. 
So he didn't tell us to take his cross. He told us to take our cross. As it says right there, if we don't take, he said, if you don't take his cross, it's not the cross of Christ. It's we got a cross to bear. I got a cross to bear. I got, I got some stuff that God's going to, not going to let me out of. That's the way I look at it, okay? God's not going to let me go get around some stuff that I have to, that have to happen in my life in order for me to be saved. And if that's what I've got to go through, then so be it. So be it. If I have, if I have to lay aside family and if I have to just say family's important, but not that important that I, that I'm going to resist the will of God in my life and say, I, I don't want to do that, God. I, that's not comfortable for me. So I'm not doing it. Do you want to be in that place with God? Oh, oh, you don't want to do my will? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in that place. So I asked this question already, but I'm going to ask it again. Do we, do we have the tendency to come up with our own ideas regarding the things of the kingdom? The things of the kingdom. It, we're not thinking up just random ideas, but we're really thinking about the kingdom. And do we ever, do we come up with our own ideas and lift them up before God and say, here, I'm going to do this, God. Would you bless it? What if God had another plan? And we never even went to him and said, hey, what do you want me to do in this situation? How, how am I supposed to go forward? How am I supposed, what's the next step I'm supposed to take, God? I heard one preacher say that if the last thing God told you to do is stand still, then that's what you need to be doing. You don't need to be moving away from that spot and trying to promote the will of God forward in your life when the last thing he said was stand still. How many times has God in our life told us to stand still or move or go do something and we've quenched that and we because we didn't want to do that. It was uncomfortable. I don't want to pick that person up. I don't want to do that, God. It's it's not me. It's not part of my my personality. He didn't ask you if it was a part of your personality. He just asked you to do it. Because you might be the only the only vessel between that person's salvation and their their loss. I got a question for you. Why did Jesus tell his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven? Because they asked him, teach us to pray, right? And that's what he told them. So why did he tell them that? Did God need our help praying his will into existence? No. (laughs) He's going to do his will. So why, this is just me, why Why do you think God told them to pray that? Maybe it was for them, for each individual to kind of give in and give up and say, like Jesus, our example, did. What did he say when he was up there on, on the mount praying right before his death? What did he pray? What was that prayer he prayed? It was like something like, nevertheless, Father, not as I will, but is thou will? Something like that? What was he saying? He was up there trying to get out of going to the cross. Father, let this cup pass from me. Was what he said right before that. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So that's where we are today. That's what the, that's what that that verse says to me. I pray that almost every day, multiple times a day, I'm saying that out loud to myself as I'm driving, as I'm walking, as I'm walking the hallways where I work. I'm praying, God, let your will be done and your kingdom come in my life, whatever that is. Even if you're not talking to me right now, like the, like the pastor brought out, there, there was times where God was just silent and didn't say anything. And you have to have enough faith to believe that whatever the last thing he told you to do was the last thing he told you to do. And you have to trust that he knows what the next step is. Because sometimes God's just giving you light for the step you're taking right now. He ain't giving you light for the next step for a reason. He's, he doesn't want you to go forward yet. Praise God. Our God that saved us was our ultimate decision maker. Thank God that he came to us. He started stirring us. He allowed somebody to plant a scripture in our life, and he started making the decision, I want to save that individual. And he started drawing us. He made the decision to love us. He made the decision to create us. He made the decision to draw us. What are we doing? Amen. Let's all stand in this place today. If we desire to be pleasing to him, then we need to be checking in with him first. When it comes to making any decision, especially when it comes to his kingdom. If we are in charge or in control of anything, it's only because he is allowing us to be in control and in charge of anything. He raises one man up and sets another one down. And when he puts those men in those positions and elevates them to those positions of authority, they exercise that authority, but they still do it under his authority. Jesus was our example. You know, last Sunday we were singing this song, and I think we're going to sing it at the end here. And uh, the name of the song is, is called Welcome Holy Spirit. And that song has just been... And I've tried to listen to other music to kind of drown it out. <laughs> I have, intentionally. I've tried to listen to other music to drown that song out of my head, and it won't go away. And there's a verse in that song that just keeps over and over, even today, rolling over and over in my head. It says, take complete control. And I got to thinking about that, and the Lord kind of took me back to when I first got in church. When I first found this truth, it, it found me. And I, I thought, you know, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly those words are what I said when I went to that altar and I said, I'm done. I need the Holy Ghost. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. What did I, what were we saying on that, at that very moment? Words to that effect. We were saying, Jesus, I'm done. Please take control. I'm tired of making all the decisions. I am really messing up my life. If you'll just come in, I'll let go and let you be in control. And we did that. Every one of us did that. But you know what? Time and circumstances and situations and life passes. And we start, what do we start doing? We start taking back control. A little here, a little there. It doesn't seem like much. We forgot where we came from. 
And so in this room today, I would say, I would venture to say that every one of us at some point has found ourselves maybe taking, putting our hand back on the wheel just a little bit. And not really saying, God, you're the ultimate decision maker. It's not my will, it's your will. And so, so we're just going to pray today. I don't know if you want to come to this altar or not, and, but I'm going to sing this song, and if you want to sing it with me, that's fine. Sister Parker can put the words up, but, uh, and I don't know if there's music to it, but I, I believe you know the words, but I just feel like we need to really take the words of this song to, to heart, especially the part that says, take complete control. Amen? Oh, welcome, Holy Spirit. We are in your presence. 